Greetings and welcome to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we take a look at issues brought up in the previous week's Dafyomi selection and look at them more bi'iyun, uh, in depth. Um, and uh, continuing from the shiur that we had last week and we will continue next week, we're not dealing with issues that are specifically in the most recent dapim, but as per request, we're dealing with the issue of Tosefet Shabbat, uh, the requirement, perhaps, or the possibility of adding on to Shabbat beforehand and perhaps in sym- symmetrically uh, at the end uh, and extending Shabbat into Chol, uh, the phrase used by the Midrash Halachas, Mosifin Mechol Al HaKodesh. Uh, in last week's year, we looked at the primary sources, the Psukim, the uh, Midrash Halacha, the Gemarot, uh, and the rulings of the Rambam and the Rosh. Uh, now we're going to take it to the next step um, as an added feature because uh, we are uh, presently in the week before Shavuot, we're going to have an addendum or a Tosefet to our shiur about Tosefet, uh, about the issue of Tosefet Yom Tov on Shavuot and the seeming conflict with the common custom in many places uh, to wait until to begin Shavuot late and not to engage in Tosefet. So we'll look at that towards the end of the shiur. Um, in this shiur also, because we do try to um, increase our methodological reach and our awareness of the development of halacha, we're going to uh, be focusing and really kind of doing an introduction to uh, a majestic work uh, of halacha, uh, which is the Beit Yosef. Uh, most of the material that we'll look at in the main part of the year will be in the Beit Yosef. So uh, when we get to that, um, which will be the second source we look at, uh, I'll give the introduction. We're going to start with the tour. So just a few words about the tour uh, so we can kind of get an idea. Um, recall that uh, in, in the uh, 13th century, um, the main works of halacha, there were specific halachic works that had been produced since the times of the Gonim on specific areas of halacha, uh, like uh, Nida and like Shtarot. Those are a wide range of things. And there were comprehensive works of halacha also, um, like famously the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, but there was also the, uh, the Smag, there was also the... the, um, the uh, Sefer Manhig and Sefer Eshkol, and other works of that sort. Um, the uh, the tour is the product of um, the of Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Asher, whose father, Rabbeinu Asher, was the great sage of Germany, and uh, in the early in the late 13th century, uh, was exiled from Germany and moved to Spain. And so his son, Yaakov, who had grown up in Germany, spent most of his life in Spain and as a result was able to uh, internalize both the teachings of the Ashkenazi tradition and of the Sephardi tradition. And he reorganized the entire corpus of halacha in an innovative way uh, that actually mirrored some of the things that were going on in general in Spanish legislative works uh, of his time. And uh, instead of the 14 volumes of the Rambam, which encompassed um, all of halacha, whether practical in his day or not, whether in Chutzlarts or in Eretz Yisrael, and even uh, areas of Jewish thought and belief, 
Uh, he limited it to areas that were uh, practical at the time um, and, uh, and reorganized it into four areas of law, essentially uh, daily and calendar, uh, general ritual law, marital law, and um, court issues. Uh, and so all of our focus is going to be in the first, the calendar, uh, Shabbat, Yom Tov, the piece we're going to look at about Shavuot, will all be in that, which is called Orach Chaim. And the Torah named it that way and then, uh, and then broke all of the halachot into simply paragraph numbers. Instead of sections of Hilchot Shabbat, Hilchot Yom Tov, uh, they were broken into paragraph numbers, and that was his scheme. And each paragraph um, was, uh, was devoted to a particular area of the law. He began with waking up in the morning and then moved into tzitzit and then tefillin and then kriyachman tefillin kind of followed the day through. And that was the scheme that he developed, the schema that he developed in, uh, in Orachayim. Um, and what the great advantages of the tour, as I mentioned, are, are that he quotes uh, both Ashkenazi and Sephardi traditions. Uh, he often uh, does not... Uh, decide between them. It says here are the different positions that exist. Uh, almost favor, almost always favorably quotes his father, Adoni Avi Harozal, uh, and certainly will quote the Rambam often, but also many other traditions. And um, and as such, uh, it became a, a very popular book and kind of a seminal work of halakha uh, from the 14th century on. So we come to the 16th century. Um, and uh, again, after we take a look at the first tour, I'm going to uh, take a break and give a quick introduction to the Beit Yosef. Okay, so the tour in Hachot Shabbat, there's two Sibanim we're going to look at. One is Reish Samach Zayin, uh, that really is a little bit off, seemingly off topic, but it's not. And it is the topic of Tefillah, when he talks about Tefillah on Friday night. Notice the way he, write, he, he presents it in Nichnasin, Source 17. So, after uh, preparations for Shabbat, lighting candles, come to Shul, and we walk in and we say Mincha, like every other day, there's no Tachanun, and then we say Arvit earlier than regular days, and he quotes one of the passages that we saw in last week. Which is last week's year, which is Iule Yomma We always want to start the day early. Now notice this presents starting Shabbat early, uh, not as a neutral topic, but also not as an obligation, but rather that's what we do because it's better to start early. It's a it's a it's a positive thing. Ve he quotes one of the other sources that we saw. And he mentions the Rabbiosi saying, I'd like to be among those who start Shabbat in Tveria. And he gave the following Rashi the explanation. We saw several last week. Because it's in a low place, in a valley. And as a result of that, because they were in a low place, even when it was still daytime, they thought it was already night and they would start early. Remember, one of the questions we dealt with was how early can you start Shabbat? And so he quotes Tosfot that's saying that uh, you can start and again, is one and one quarter before sunset. 
So let's say on a day in which the day is exactly 6 to 6, sunrise at 6, sunset at 6, that would mean from 4.45 on, which is Plaga Mincha. We talked about that back in one of our Shurim on Brachot uh, about, uh, about the whole issue of Plag. Now listen to language because this is going to be tricky. It says, from that point on, from Plagan, you can light the candles and accept Shabbat with Arvit. So it sounds like lighting the candles is not what it means accepting Shabbat. But you have to wait to say Shema. Now listen to his phrasing. It doesn't say to repeat Shema, but rather to wait to say Shema. So it sounds like you're saying just the tefillah of our vich, what we call Shema Esrei, and then after dark saying Kriyat Shema and its brachot, uh, which would be the first time you're saying it, and saying it afterwards at night. Now, the, uh, the Gemara makes a phrase about uh, about starting Shabbat. It's a Gemara and brachot. So this is not called making it early. Why? Meaning too early. Right? Now this is part of the conceptual issue. Since you've created, you've accepted it as Shabbat at that moment, and once you say tefillah, you may no longer do melacha, since you accepted Shabbat. So therefore, you're not going early. In other words, it's self-defining. Since at this hour it's possible to make it Shabbat, by making it Shabbat, this is not called starting early. This issue is going to come back to us at the, in the addendum to the Shear about Shavuot. Okay, that's the tour. I'm going to take a look at what the Beit Yosef does, and this is a shorter piece of the Beit Yosef, because again, this is not the main siman about Tosef at Shabbat. Uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo was uh, from a family uh, that uh, he himself was born in, in uh, Portugal. The family had already left from um, from uh, Spain, and after the expulsion, they uh, moved around different parts of the North Mediterranean, including in Turkey, and finally he made his way in the early part of the 16th century uh, to... Uh, to uh, to Tzfat, and um, among the major works he wrote, he had a prodigious output, but among the major works he wrote was a commentary on the Rambam, known as Kesef Mishnah. Uh, we're going to talk about the other two works that he did now in, in a little more detail, uh, but one of them was the Beit Yosef. The Beit Yosef is a, a comprehensive commentary on the tour, and it became very popular. He started writing it in 1522, it was published in his lifetime. And this is something that you don't hear about m- much uh, in the uh, 15th and 16th centuries, obviously not much in the 15th, but of authors who had their works published in their lifetime. And he was actually able to oversee the printing. Printing of the Beit Yosef took place in Venice, uh, and um, he was able to, to make sure that the printing was done according to, uh, to his standards. And it was so the first printing of the tour with the Beit Yosef commentary on it, uh, took place in the 1550s, uh, well before his well well before his passing, and uh, again it was a very popular. We'll talk about what the impact of the popularity was, but the reason it was popular was as he stated, uh, and it was an unusual position because often you will find programmatic introductions of the Rishonim to their works of halacha as saying that there is a dearth of knowledge. We need to bring this together. And and to uh, to fill in the gap, and often it would go along with 
with statements of how the difficulty of the exile is and perhaps oppression, perhaps expulsions, etc., and we need to put this together. Here he had what was seemed to be sort of a counter-argument. In his introduction, he writes about how there are so many different halacha, halacha, and it's hard to find them, put them all together. And so what he did is he collated the positions of uh, numerous poskim from Spain, including the Rif, the Rambam famously, uh, and from uh, and from France, including Rashi, Rabbi Otam, uh, some of the earlier <coughs> Balatosvot from Germany, Sha'are Dura, uh, and and Seferat uh, uh, and some of the other German works, Shibole Aleket from Italy. So he brought them all together and presented them, and we're going to see that happening in front of us. It's a marvelous work, and there is no way that any halachic discussion, serious halachic discussion, can take place leapfrogging the Beit Yosef. And his comment is on every Siman in the tour, and uh, and he has pride of place in any printing of the tour, and that is the inside position, inside of the margin. Okay, enough of the introduction. There's much, much written about the Beit Yosef uh, that's out there and available, and, and I, I recommend but the Beit Yosef's commentary. We're going to see this. He says, I already wrote it in Siman Reish Samach Yomel, which is 263, paragraph 263. So even if the minion, if the shul didn't yet daven, the community, once you say Arvit, you're not allowed to do Malacha. And it's one of the topics we discussed. And that's something we're not going to look at, the issue of if they errantly daven, meaning that they got very cloudy and they thought it was nighttime, and they said Arvit, and then the clouds separated and they realized it was daytime, what to do in that situation, different issue. Um, and uh, he then quotes in Mishiman Reish Sadi Gimel, which is about Havdalah, who was a, a, a Spanish scholar from the uh, early 11th century, uh, that he says, This goes back to one of the first shurim we had, which is about saying Arvit early in, in Brachot. His position was that since we actually rule like Rabbanan, which is, or our custom is to follow Rabbanan against Rabbi Yehuda, and to not say Arvit until after dark, he says, you're not allowed to say Arvit before sunset, and therefore you cannot say Arvit on Friday night before, uh, before Shabbat starts. Therefore you can't say Kiddush or Havdalah, except when, and until the day has actually started astronomically. He negates the entire position of Tosefet here. The only way that he would allow for Tosefet is if you were to sit, sit there and say, I accept Shabbat of myself, and you're not going to do any Malacha, but you can't say Arvit or Mekidush at that early point. And he says, Yain Matsui, Bein Eno Matsui, Right, even if you don't have access to wine at that point, if you have shod papat, then that's a different issue of kiddush that you could make kiddush on Friday night only uh, on bread instead of wine if wine's unavailable. Well, in Yan Halacha, but the Beit Yosef now says, and again he's collating the sources and then making a ruling. In Yan Halacha, Kevansha Harambam v'Harosh maskimim l'Dat Achat, since the Rambam and the Rosh are of one opinion, I'm going to talk about what that means in the Beit Yosef's terminology. 
Therefore, that's how we rule, and that rule is that you are allowed to say tefillah before the day starts, before nightfall, and begin Shabbat early that way. So he's rejecting that opinion, but he wanted to bring that opinion in. He says, And again, he puts in the same stipulation that the tour quoted of Tosfot, which is it can only be after Plag HaMincha. So that the Ram is the mayor of Rutenberg. So that means that even though we are familiar with the position of Yitzchak Ibn Gayat, we reject it and say that you can start early. So now um, we're going to read one more section of the tour and then a number of sections of the Beit Yosef. Uh, and when we get to the Beit Yosef second time around, I'm going to say something about his comment about since the Rambam and the Rosh are in agreement and why that's the end, sort of the end of the question. Okay, so in Reis Samach Gimel, which is earlier on, four paragraphs earlier uh, than the first one we read, the tour says the following, Katav Bahag, and this is a well-known piece, Te Kabbalat Shabbat Taner. So the Bahag, the Halachot Galot, was authored by Rishivan Kaira in the 10th century, or the 9th century perhaps, um, <clears throat> and it's really the earliest popular compendium of Halacha that we have, post-Talmudic, uh, says the Kabbalat Shabbat depends on lighting candles. And this is famous because it impacts on the Kevan Shidlik Ner Shabbat, Chalav Shabbat, That's why Shabbat Chanukah, we have to light Chanukah candles first, even though it's significantly early, because once we lit Shabbat candles, we can't light Chanukah candles because it's already Shabbat. That's the Bahag's position. Tosfut says, once you light candles, Shabbat has not happened. Ma'ariv is what makes Shabbat. The minute you say Arvit, it has become Shabbat. Now, of course, this is ignoring the astronomic issue of time of day, which means you know, if you didn't do any of these things and the sun set, then it is Shabbat. Okay. Now, the Beit Yosef, I mentioned earlier, uh, about the Rambam and Rosh. The Beit Yosef, in his introduction of the Beit Yosef, says, <clears throat> since there's all of these different approaches and all these different opinions, I'm trying to bring them together, how can we possibly come to a conclusion? And he says, so therefore I decided to have the following three be my amudeha hora'a, my pillars of, of decision-making, which are the Rambam, the Rif, and the Rosh, or pr- more properly the Rif, the Rambam, and the Rosh, and he says, and therefore, if the two of them are in agreement on a position, that's the position we're going to take. So that's why he said, since the Rambam and the Rosh agreed explicitly that you may say tefillah earlier than, uh, than uh, Shkiah, therefore that's the position we take, and we go with it. Okay, so now, the Beit Yosef on Reis Samach Gimel. So he comments on the tours uh, bringing the Bahag about the candle lighting makes a Shabbat. So he starts by quoting the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim. So he says the Ran, if you take a look at the Ran in Bamamadikin, then you can, the Ran is the common commentary printed on the Rif. And so the editor here put in, it's on page Yod of the Rif pages. He quotes all of this, he quotes the Bahag, he quotes the Ramban's 
tshuva about this, um, and uh, and we shvan v'ta'an bahag. He said uh, that the Ramban supported the bahag that Kabbalat Shabbat happens with candle lighting. The chenir medivir hamordechai shal mordechai ben Hillel of Germany. The Rosh said, He said, From the Gemara, it seems as if Shabbat does not start with candle lighting. It's about Arvit. And Tfilat HaShachar is the name of the parak, the story that we heard about Rav saying Arvit early, and then the question was, Are you now stopping Malacha? So that seems to be that the uh, that the piece is, and he says v'chein amad devar. The common custom is shachazan omer baruchu. The minute the chazan says baruchu, Friday night hakol porshim Mlacha. Now important to note that at this point in time, Kabbalat Shabbat didn't really exist. There was a custom in some places to say mizmor shaliyam Shabbat before arvit, and that may or may not have constituted beginning Shabbat. But all of the rest of Kabbalat Shabbat, including Lachad is just being formulated in the Beit Yosef's time in Tzfat. And so that doesn't exist yet as a formal piece of davening, and therefore davening starts with Baruchu, right? So uh, whether it would start with something earlier than that is something that we will discuss later on. So go to Provence. So the Magid Mishnah. Also, who we saw last week, Shkatav de Rahag, Vishuvalav Ramban, Varashba, Vamrusha Eina Lakataner Kabbalah, Oseret, Vaviu Rayalaze, Vamatsativir Abeno Kabbalah, Oseret, Be'er of Shabbat. So the position being that uh, that lighting candles does not make it make a Shabbat, Chendat Smag Mitzvatase, and the Beit Yosef is doing something that he does often, which is sort of to pile on the positions to argue in favor of one. Notice that the Beit Yosef here, by the way, is not engaging in art, logical argumentation, but in rather citing a plethora of sources. Uh, so the smag, that's where Moshe of Kusi of Baleatosvot, says, puts a, 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 a caveat here, which is when you light candles, it's not Shabbat for everybody else, but the person who lit can't do malacha, chashid lik. So our mayor of Rottenburg said, this is the Hagot Maimoniot, which is a student of the Maharami Rottenburg, so this is Germany now, says that his custom, that he, he, uh, he directed people to say, when they light, In other words, he brought up a different problem. If you light candles and lighting candles makes a Shabbat, then you can't even be hold, holding the candle that you're lighting with or the match. So he said, he told people that they should make a condition, they're not accepting Shabbat until they put the candle down, the one they're lighting with. Or until Tfilah. Otherwise, you're moving the candle around, it's Moktzah. Now, notice, they're not addressing the issue at all about, which we're not going to address in the Shi'ur, about saying the Bracha first or lighting first. Right. So it does sound that as long as you had that intent, even if you didn't say anything, that's enough. He thinks even the Bahag would agree with that. 
חולק על הרם ואומר דווקא לבני הבית, אבל אישה שמלקת היא אסורה לעשות מלאכה חרשי דליקה. So he disagrees with the, the Mara Mirenberg and says that the rest of the household members don't have to accept Shabbat there, but the woman herself who lights, if it's a woman who's lighting, whoever's lighting, is not allowed to do Malacha after she lit. And this is where the issue I just mentioned comes, starts, which is the issue of saying the bracha, whether that constitutes Kabbalah Shabbat. He says it absolutely does. There's no greater Kabbalah than saying that word, acceptance of Shabbat than saying those words. All right? And therefore, um, it won't help to make a condition. It's like saying it's Shabbat on conditions on Shabbat, according to him. And that's, by the way, where the custom came in many communities, where the woman lights the candles first and then says the bracha against the convention of making a bracha before doing the mitzvah. Because the concern is once you said the bracha Shabbat and you can't light. He said some people have the custom that they light the candles and then they make the bracha and then they toss the, the wick that they lit down on the ground. He brought the bahag with Tamil or Binyamin. So the Shibolaka quotes his brother Abinyamin. Shimtomarsha Bracha Hashuva Kabbalat Shabbat. He says, I don't get it. If the Bracha makes Kabbalat Shabbat, in Kenya Asur Lahadlik, then you can't light. All right? And again, the counter to that is to so say the bracha afterwards. He said, so maybe it's not the bracha, but it's the lighting that's the Kabbalah. That's what the Bahag said. The other problem was that if lighting makes it Shabbat, then how can you light the second candle or the third? How many are you going to light? And uh, and before the age of electricity, they would light many candles around the house and all the rooms they were going to need at that point. All right. Um, so he said it could be. Maybe all the candles that they light are all considered one unit. And therefore, until you finish lighting all of them, you haven't accepted Shabbat. As opposed to putting out the wick that you use, that they won't allow. Right? So here we're, we're taking the position that the Bahag argued that some Rishonim accepted, which was that lighting candles, at least for the person who lit, or perhaps for all the members of that household, makes it Shabbat. And for the person who lit, it's possible that they can't even make a condition to not accept Shabbat. But that it will not be with the bracha or the first lighting, but when they finish all of the lighting, and it's already said the bracha, and finish all the lighting, then it would be Shabbat for them, if you took that position. Remember, Tosfot strongly argued that the Kabbalah Shabbat has nothing to do with lighting candles, but rather with tefillah. All right, v'hadaniyat barchu have Kabbalah Shabbat. So where is this idea that barchu, answering to barchu makes it Shabbat? of his work, Vagaot Sof Perak, Hey, Vamordechai Sof Perak, Merlikin is all Rabbi Yerucham is Provence, and Chachmei Ashkenaz, Mashkatav HaRosh, Kabbalat Shabbat, Tuliyah, B'Tfilat Avit, Tzarech L'Faresh, Tahinu, Tchilat Tfilat Avit. So how come we're now taking the position that answering Baruchu is uh, is Kabbalat Shabbat when we said it's Tfilat Avit, which is Shemona Esrei? So the answer is it must be in the beginning of Tfilat, Shu Baruchu. We're going to see more about that next week, about the role of Baruch Hu in impacting on other things. 
Okay. Now, we're going to see a few other interesting pieces here in the Beit Yosef. Um, that, the, uh, that the tour said that when you say Arvit, it's already Shabbat. So now he said, so the Beit Yosef says, what's the purpose of saying that? So let's say that the shul, the one shul in town, the one community in town, didn't yet say tefillah, but you said tefillah early. You can't do malacha because you started Shabbat early. He said, let's say that a guy wants to daven and not to accept Shabbat. Uh, it would seem to be that machlokat about the ner. He said, nah, that wouldn't work. Lighting candles, you could say, is actually a weekday activity. So you could say, I'm making a condition, I'm not accepting Shabbat. You can't say tefillat arvit, in which you mention the sanctity of the day and say, but I'm not accepting Shabbat with that. That will not work. So therefore, even if the individual says earlier than the minyan, than the, than the tzibur, then for him it's Shabbat. We're starting to now address this, the issues that we brought up at the beginning of last week in a practical sense. All right, so now, one other one of the issues was this. Let's say majority of the, of the community, of the village, of the city, of the city has accepted Shabbat. The minority is on, against their will dragged in. Nobody's allowed to do malacha. This is the problem I brought up with camps and and and, and kibbutzim and small places that are that are self enclosed communities. So even if the, if they said baruchu in shul and you're at home, you can't do malacha. Even if you don't want to start Shabbat early, they started Shabbat early. In most of our cities, it's not an issue because we have multiple minyanim starting at different times. There is no single minyan. What about this case? The Shibole Aleket, Italy, discusses this. What if a person walks into a city, an Arab Shabbat, and the community has already started Shabbat? Let's say they said Barcho, and there's still lots of sunlight left. If he has some money or some other inappropriate thing that he's carrying. This is goes to the uh, the Mishnah at the beginning of the last parak of Shabbat. He lets it drop. What does that mean? So if you recall, in the second parak um, of Shabbat, we heard about the tkiot that they would blast before Shabbat started to let people know. Today we have a siren in Israel and in a few communities in Chutzlarts, a siren that lets people know. But they would blow a shofar that let people know. He said, Baruch Hu serves that purpose. So Baruch was the announcement that Shabbat has started. And therefore, you, even if you walked in from out of town and it's still daylight and you weren't starting Shabbat, the community started Shabbat, you, you can't be carrying anything, Muktzah, etc. Here's an interesting problem. person has not yet said Mincha. And Mincha, of course, does not involve any violation of Shabbat, as it were. You're not doing any Melacha. You're in shul, you said baruchu. And by the way, this is something that happens quite often with early minyanim. Somebody comes in late to the early minyan, and they've already started arvit, but they didn't yet. The person didn't yet say mincha. Kvar asau kodesh. 
it, you've already made it Kodesh by answering Baruchu. Veshuv lo yasenu chol. You cannot now make it chol. Litpalel tefillah shachol. To say a weekday tefillah, elitpalel each time. You have to say Mariv and another arvit tefillah because it's making up a missed tefillah. Chatam in Yisrael b'tshuvat adeshin. So Yisrael Israel in in the tshuvat adeshin writes. Uh, now, what if you didn't say mincha and they said baruchu? The the kahal said baruchu. But it's still before sunset. So his solution is don't say mincha in that shul. So where they're davening. They've already made it Shabbat. You you shouldn't make it whole in their presence. Walk outside. Now, that's, by the way, you didn't answer Baruch They already said Baruch You didn't say Mincha yet. So don't say Mincha in that shul. He said, that's different. When you answered Baruch yourself, you made it Kodesh. You can't say Mincha. But if you didn't answer Baruch if you didn't do anything with your mouth to make it Shabbat, maybe you weren't in Shul yet when they started. You walked in and they were in the middle of Kriyachma. Therefore, you can make Chol, but not in their presence. All right, the last piece of this Beit Yosef. Notice again, what is the Beit Yosef here is collating sources. He's had very little of his own input here in the Beit Yosef is collating sources, but the organization of it is is marvelous. And analyzing and seeing where the majority of the opinions are is uh, is part of what, his, what he sees as his job. Says, let's say a guy walks in, and again, hasn't said mincha, and it's almost barchu. He shouldn't wait to answer barchu. In other words, if he starts mincha, he can't answer barchu. He'd be in the middle of Shmon Esrei. Because mincha time is finishing. So if he, meaning if he answers barchu, it'll be late for mincha. He shouldn't be makpid on that. The same thing uh, if you're, let's say, walk in on a regular day, and, and if you start Shpon Esrei, you won't be able to answer Modim with the Tzibur, but if you were to wait, then the time of Tfilah would lapse, then you start Tfilah. But let's say you start Mincha, now you're in Shul, and you're starting Mincha, and they're about to start Baruch and let's say you don't even get halfway through your tefillah, and they're going to start baruchu. This is the problem that the that he just mentioned, Shmuel Tadeshin just mentioned, about saying mincha in the shul while it's Shabbat for them. That you can't do. But if you start mincha before baruchu, even though you'll now be saying tefillat chol right there next to them after they said baruchu. Um, since you started beheter, and in a, for a minute, we'll, 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 in a minute we'll talk about where this comes from. Since you started mincha beheter, means that you started mincha before they had said baruchu. Therefore, that's not such a big problem. Okay? 
that's talking about a different circumstance when you start something, let's say eating um, uh, on Erev Pesach, and you start uh, and you start just before the the forbidden time, but you know you're not going to be able to finish it until you're after in, until you're in the pro- pro- prohibited time. That's called Kihitchel Be'isur. Here it's a little bit different, right? It's not the same. There's no isur here, and therefore that's the that's what the Chumat Hadeshen says, right? And that's as far as we're going to go because then he compares that with something the Chumat Hadeshen wrote elsewhere, and he makes it interesting. Actually, we'll take a look at it because it's an interesting comment. It says So in another one of the Chumat Hadeshen's writing, seemingly in a Chuva. He wrote Nirella and Dati in, in his own observations of learning. And he just to summarize, he says that in his writings, he says it's not such a big deal if you say Mincha there where they've already said Barhu, against what he said earlier. And then at the end, he makes an interesting comment. Ulinyan halacha, the Beit Yosef says, we're going to rely on his formal book, the Trumat Tadeshin, uh, the uh, Yisrael Isserlein, as opposed to what he wrote in his own writings. When he writes something to be published, he's more careful about it. As opposed to what he writes in his own in his own journal. He actually answered the question there, which was that if you didn't yourself answer Baruchu, then you could still say Mincha, but you have to say it outside. Okay, so um, um, uh, one last, uh, so the issue of starting Beheter, where that came from, um, the, uh, the Mishnah in Shabbat that we saw a number of months ago, back in the uh, in Daf Tet Amud Bet, uh, lists a bunch of things not to do uh, before Mincha, and that leads to things you're not supposed to start doing in Arab Shabbat, will lead to Shabbat, Things you're not supposed to do, some mincha, sitting down to a haircut, going to a barbershop, etc. And uh, the reason is because uh, they're very involved things and they may take you past, you may miss mincha. And the ruling there is that if you started beheter, meaning you started before that time, you could continue. And so that's that's the piece that he was comparing it to. Uh, and the same thing here, which is you started mincha before they said barhu, even though you're now saying mincha while they're saying barhu to notice. There's so much discussion here about the issue of when the community has started Shabbat, the impact on you, and either for you yourself not to be able to say mincha at all anymore, it's too late, or you could say mincha, but you can't be in the same room with them, or you could start mincha earlier, but even though you're still saying mincha after they've already, uh, they're, they're, they've already saying, saying arvit, but notice the tremendous concern with the impact of the community's acceptance of, uh, of Shabbat. Okay, last piece we're going to look at here is the Shulchan Aruch, um, himself. Now, Shulchan Aruch, quick uh, comment about this. Shulchan Aruch was sort of the result of or the, 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 the aftermath, we see, of the Beit Yosef's, uh, of Yosef Karo's seeing the tremendous success and popularity of the Beit Yosef. But the Beit Yosef, as you can see, is huge. We were looking at a few comments on one Siman, and that took us most of the Shi'ur. So, what he then did was something that um, many have done, which is to write voluminous commentaries and then to try to bridge them into something that was accessible to everybody. It's clear that the Beit Yosef was written for a scholarly community. It wasn't written for the layman. 
and it wasn't written as uh, as a halachic guide as much as a halachic compendium. And then he said, and now we have to have a shulchan aruch, which uh, is now, as he said, a set table where everything will be there straightforward. The shulchan aruch is is a a, a model of uh, of um, concision, of uh, and and it's far more concise than the tour. The tour will often. Uh, besides quoting more numerous opinions than the video, than the Shulchan Aruch quotes, also discuss some of the ideas behind the issues and some of the symbolism. Shulchan Aruch is straight up a book of law. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch, however, was not nearly as popular in its day, meaning in his day, as the Beit Yosef was. And there were quite a few of the scholarly community who actually weren't that happy with it for different reasons. But it did catch on uh, to become the standard uh, halachic work, and typically when we talk about somebody who was an observant Jew, they say this is a Shulchan Aruch Jew, somebody who follows the Shulchan Aruch. It's not an accurate statement because there are hundreds of rulings of the Shulchan Aruch where common custom in every in all different communities is different than that. Uh, one of the reasons for that is the, the Shulchan Aruch, although he did include the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, in his rulings, uh, was for the most part influenced by the traditions of Sfarad, and had, for the most part, um, not included the Chachmei Ashkenaz in his Psak, even though he did include them in his discussions in the Beit Yosef. And as a, as a result of that, a contemporary of his living in Krakow, Ramosha Isolis, uh, who lived a very short life, the, the, the Mechaber, the Yosef Karo, actually lived close to 90, but the Ramosha Isolis died at the age of 52. So Moshe Yislis was actually uh, died much before him, um, uh, died before the uh, the Mechaber, although he was born later. Wrote a commentary on the. He was very impressed by the Shulchan Aruch, but he wrote a commentary to include the Ashkenazi traditions, Ashkenazi customs, and Ashkenazi psak, and it was very popular. And it is printed in every standard edition of Shulchan Aruch as an embedded text in the Shulchan Aruch with the word Hey Gimel Hey, Haga, which means gloss, and has a gloss written on the Shulchan Aruch. And um, we'll see one example of that right here. Okay, um, this is in Siman Reish Samach Aleph, yet earlier. Yeshom Rim, Shitzarich Losif Mechol Alakodesh. Notice the Torah didn't say this. Some people think, that some people have the opinion that you have to add from Chol onto Kodesh, right? This is something we looked at earlier when we talked about the issue of Ben Ashpashot. How much do you, do you add? Remember the Beit Yosef's position, the Shulchan Aruch's position is this starts an hour after sunset almost. I'm just reading in the highlighted part. You can make that whole period Tosefet. You want to make some of it? You have to add some part of Vadayom certain day onto Kodesh. Okay? So the Ramah then says, Notice, the Shulchan Aruch did not give us that the early boundary. All right? He seemed to say that the early boundary was uh, from what we would call sunset. But the Ramah, and this is what we saw in the Tosfot that the Beit Yosef quoted, says you could start this from Plag HaMincha and on. That's when you could do it. Harashut biado. You have that permission to do it. Um, the last thing that's uh, that's underlined: Achar aniat barchu 
So after Baruch Hu, even though it's daytime out, that um, you cannot do make an Eruv Chatzerot, um, you can't be Tomnin, these are things you can't do during the, after Ben Hashemashot because you've already accepted Shabbat. And now we see the first little glimmerings of Kabbalat Shabbat, the prayer Kabbalat Shabbat. Um, the Shulchan Aruch says, our custom to say, Mizmor Shirli Yom Shabbat before Baruch Hu, that's like Baruch Hu. So the minute you say, Mizmor Shirli Yom Shabbat, that's already like Baruch Hu, and then you're not allowed to do those things and you're prohibited. One last comment about that, and then we'll see one last thing before going to the addendum on Shavuot. Mizmor Shirli Yom Shabbat, interestingly, was said twice in the Altnoy Shul in Prague. Uh, they would say, they would say Kabbalat Shabbat until that point, and then stop, and they would say it again, and then Baruchu. And there's a whole legend about what that's that, that's about, which, but the legend is itself uh, not accurate. The real reason for it was that they actually would do Kabbalat Shabbat, the part that we are familiar with, etc., with a band, with music and musical instruments, and say, we're not starting Shabbat yet. This is a preface to Shabbat, an intri- and a welcoming to Shabbat. And then... They would put the instruments away and say means more shirley Shabbat a second time without instruments as really part of Shabbat. Okay, um, last little piece here, which is um, one of the questions that we dealt with, which is what's the status of the individual who accepts Shabbat early vis-a-vis asking another Jewish person who has not accepted Shabbat early and it's still before sunset to do malacha for him. So the Gemara in what seems to be slightly unrelated piece towards the end of the Masachet, says that Rehuda Mashual, source 22, So I have my own tchum, my own area of Shabbat where I'm not allowed to leave. You have your own area of tchum Shabbat, then you're not allowed to leave. A fellow can say to his friend, you know what, you have some a field that's in my area, and I feel that's in your area, I'll watch yours if you watch mine. All right? That's the statement. Now, the Rashba commenting on that says the following. He quotes the Gemara, and then he says, So even though I can't go to there, since my, uh, my fellow Jew is allowed to watch them because he's on that side, my telling him to watch it, this is on Shabbat, my telling him to watch it is not a violation because I'm asking you to do something that for you is permitted because you're in that zone and you're telling me the same thing. So Tosfot, the Rashba quotes a Tosfot that says from here we can see that if a Jew accepted Shabbat early, you could ask another Jew to do malacha for you the guy who's doing it is permitted to do it. Now here's where we come up with an interesting twist. I could tell another Jew to do malacha because right now it's, let's say it's 7 o'clock, right? And, and sunset is about 7.50 these days. 7 o'clock, I've already said Arvit, and, uh, and in better days I come home from Shul. These days I'm at home, I come outside, I, realize, I, I take a look, I've said Arvit, and I realize that uh, a certain thing wasn't plugged in or certain lights weren't turned on or whatever it may be. 
I can go find a Jew next door who has not yet started Shabbat and say, can you please turn on my lights? Because he is permitted to do it, just like he's permitted to watch the things that are in his tchum. Right? However, aval legoy asur. I'm not allowed to tell a non-Jew to do it. Meaning anything I'm not allowed to do, I'm not allowed to ask a non-Jew to do. I'm not allowed to ask him to watch the perot that are in that are in his tchum because I can't go there. So the goy is an extension of me. The Israel is an independent agent. Right? If the guy's already in that zone, then I could tell him, because he's also not going anywhere. No, not good. So he says, so it wouldn't make sense in the case of the Perot and the Tchum, but, it, but he's saying as far as the issue of early Shabbat, if you've started Shabbat early, you cannot at that point ask a non-Jew to do Malacha for you even though it's sun, it, the sun hasn't set. It makes a lot of sense because the Goy doesn't have his own Shabbat. So it's not like Shabbat's going to start for him at sunset. It's an extension of your Shabbat. And Amir Lenochri is a Shvut, that thing of asking a non-Jew to do Malacha for you on Shabbat is, is a Shvut as a protection against you doing the Malacha. You're not allowed to do Malacha now, so you can't ask him. On the other hand, asking a Jew to do a Malacha for you is a much more blatant violation on Shabbat. You're involving him in an Isur Doraita, but if for him it's not yet Shabbat, there's nothing to, to discuss, and therefore it's permitted. Okay, to the addendum. Um, this week, Shavuot uh, is starting on Thursday night, and uh, let's just see the material. Um, and I, I uh, would like to thank our Chaver of Naftali Lorch for alerting me to some of these sources, and... Uh, and uh, Sending me some very interesting material about this. Usfartem lachem rochad Shabbat. We're familiar with these psukim. Miyom aviachem et Omer hatnufa sheva Shabbatot t'mimot tiyana. All right, so we're supposed to count seven weeks, but seven full weeks, seven complete weeks. Ad miyochad Shabbat hashviit tispiru chamishim yom. Until the end of the seventh week, count fifty days. Now everybody knows seven times seven is forty-nine. So how do you count fifty days? So the fiftieth day is Shavuot. You bring a new offering. Okay. Um, that's the Pasuk. Now, the Magen Avraham um, expresses the following statement, which seems to counter everything that we've just seen in last week of this week's year. The Magen Avraham, 16th, 17th century in Europe, says, We don't make Kiddush until nightfall on Shavuot. Why? Because the Pasuk says they have to be four weeks. What's the idea here? The notion is that we want to have seven complete weeks till we get the 50th day. Or to put it differently, the Kiddush of the 50th day is like Sfirah number 50. And therefore we want to have seven full weeks, and it's not a full week unless the day before is fully ended. So we have to wait to make Kiddush until then. The Taz takes it further. And he says, Me'acharin... And by the way, notice that, that the language of the Taz here is like presenting a common custom. He said, we start Arvit late. The, the Magen Avraham didn't say that. He said, you shouldn't say Kiddush until nightfall. The Taz said, you don't even say Arvit until nightfall because of Tmimot. Okay? The Shochan Arach Arav, 
The Balatanya says the same thing. The Mishabura quotes this. All about tefillah late. Now, on this reasoning, an interesting take is the Nitziv's commentary, Naftali Tzvi Yudu Berlin, um, his commentary in, on the Torah, on the passage, that later on in that parsha of Sfirah, it says, and on the 50th day, you're going to declare on Etzem Hayom Hazai, on this very day, a new holiday. That's the day of Shavuot. So he says, Whenever it says Etzem Hayom Hazai, and this is something we saw at the beginning of last week's year, that anytime it says Etzem Hayom Hazai, it means to say, O Yom Velolayla, either day and not night, or you can't say that, it must be excluding the added on time. Remember, we saw that last week that Etzamayom Azat told us you're not chayav karet for eating on Yom Kippur during the Tosafet time or for doing malacha during the Tosafet time because it's only Etzamayom Azat. You're allowed to, but you're not chayav karet. So therefore, here it says Etzamayom Azat about Shavuot. You can't say it means Shavuot's only on day and not night. All holidays start at night. And the idea is that you should only make the declaration of Shavuot at night, and not beforehand during the day. So he gives a different reason why there's a custom to not start Arvit until late on Shavuot, which, by the way, in most countries of, uh, certainly of Ashkenazi uh, dispersion was a difficulty because Shavuot uh, in some countries, it's not nightfall till after 10 o'clock. Uh, in some of the more northern countries, happening always in, uh, towards the middle end of May or sometimes beginning of June. Uh, and he said, that's the reason for the custom. Not because of the way that the Magen Avraham interpreted. In other words, the 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 Natsiva is saying we're looking at a custom. The custom is to say Arvit late on Shavuot. What's the reason? So when God of Ram said because of Tmimot, he said that's not the reason. So then and therefore he said, then you should always say Mariv late during all seven weeks. And we don't have that custom. He said Tmimot is not about perfect days, but perfect weeks. And you don't count hours to weeks. It's an interesting discussion. This picks up from, from a discussion at the beginning of Masach Hashanah. You count uh, days in a month. You count months in a year. You don't count days in a year. And so therefore, we, for instance, we don't write on a star in the, in the uh, 90th day of the year. We write on the 30th day of this month of this year. And the same thing, you don't count hours to weeks. And therefore, if it has to be perfect weeks, that means you have to have of seven days is a perfect week. It doesn't have to be seven complete days. He says that Tmimot is not an issue here. He says, It's because it says, Therefore, that means Shavuot has to be declared when it's really fully Shavuot and not beforehand. So now he has a footnote, his own footnote, in his Ha'amek Davar, he has some footnotes which he calls Ha'chev Davar, he said, therefore, every Yom Tov is called Mikra Kodesh and not called Be'etzameyozeh, you can start early. Something we've seen several times. And now he cites a position um, 
that uh, that we didn't see explicitly, but he says according to Tosfot, of course, following the story of Rav, that if you say Arvid early, you have to avoid Malacha. She says that the Rambam's position is that you could still do malacha after saying Arvit early. Because the Rambam, as you remember, does not hold of Tosefet Shabbat. He only holds a Tosefet Inu and Yom Kippur. He says, since it's a Mikra Kodesh and it doesn't say therefore you could say Arvit early because there is no such requirement as that Tzomayom However, this is a bit problematic if you think about it, because Tosefet all starts from Yom Kippurim, which is defined three times as Etzamayomazet, and so therefore it's a bit of a, a, a bit difficult to say that Etzamayomazet quashes Tosefet when all of Tosefet starts from Yom Kippur. Okay, we're going to end up the last source we're going to look at uh, is the Chuvam Malamed Lahoel, um, where he was asked uh, by. Uh, by um, in particular Elchanan Gompertz uh, from Hamburg uh, about a particular year where it was difficult to uh, to start Arvit late. All right, again because uh, this is in Hamburg, and you can imagine if this is a late Shavuot, it'd be much much more difficult to to have it that way. And the sort of David Zvi Hoffman in his answer said the following: Katavtilo the Kevan the Kevan ledat Hagon Yavets. Meaning the Yaakov Emden, to be sifro moruk tziah makpid al tmimot betchila. He says tmimot has to be at the beginning. The seven perfect weeks have to be at the beginning. The Gemara said this in in uh, in Menachot. He said, "How do I make sure?" The Gemara says, "How do I make sure that my seven weeks are perfect?" I have to start by counting at night. That's why we count at night, so it's full counting. So he says that's at the beginning. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, one of the greatest minds of the uh, of the 18th century, says that um, that to say that Tmimot applies at the end of the period, seven full weeks that have to have a full completion, says that's a very weak kind of inference from the text. Says if somebody wants to be rockbeed, so wait to eat your meal until dark. But as far as davening goes, better you that you should add Michol al Kodesh, right? Which is a mitzvah. So he, so Rabbi Hoffman asks that uh, that why don't we infer about the end of Sfirah from the beginning that needs to be mot? Interesting take. He said, the days of Sphira have a certain kind of Kedusha. Remember, the Ramban's position is that, um, I'm going to see it in a minute, that, uh, that Sphira, the days of Sphira are like a Chol HaMoy between Pesach and Shavuot. Right? So in other words, the days of Sphira have their own Kedusha. So when you start Sphira, there's two Kedushot. Why? Kedushat HaSfira, Ukedushat Chol HaMoed, because after all, it really is Chol HaMoed, because we start Sfira on the second day of Pesach. Ve'eno sofer miyad ba'erav migra Kedushat HaSfira miktzat hayom. So if you don't start counting Sfira at the beginning of the evening of the second night of Pesach, then you've erased some of the sanctity of Sfira. It is not yet a counted day from the day. 
but at the end of Sfirah, if you start Yontif early, like we're supposed to be doing with every Shabbat and Yom Tov, you're adding to the Kedusha of the Sfirah day, interesting argument where he argues the opposite, that you should actually start Shavuot early to enhance that last Sfirah day with more Kedusha. You're not taking away from the Tmimot of that day, it's even more, meaning 200 includes 100. The Kedusha of Yom Tov is all-encompassing. But since the Achonim are makpid on that, so at least my position was if a person finds it hard to wait, they should they can, they can should wait until Ben Hashmashot. They don't have to wait further than that. We hold that's right after sunset, which means you can start your meal right after sunset and tefillah earlier. First of all, almost all Rishonim hold sphere in our day is the Rabbanan. We're going to be lenient about it. When it comes to a safek, will be laila for necessary purposes, so we'll call it uh, By the way, the custom throughout Ashkenaz was always to count Sfira around Shkia, even before Shkia, throughout the period. Also, the one who asked the question, this was the uh, of the a record of the customs in Frankfurt. He said, we never saw anybody in Ashkenaz wait late on Shavuot to start Yom Tov. They would start early like every other Yom Tov. He says, bottom line is, God desires your good intentions, your heart. Main thing is you're doing it in the Shem and you can make Kiddush during Ben Hashmashot. Okay, we have seen two major things here. Um, an introduction to the work of the Beit Yosef. We saw how the Beit Yosef dealt with some of the sources uh, about the status of the time of Tosefet and about what what makes uh, Tosefet happen um, when starting Shabbat early. Uh, the framing of it almost throughout the whole discussion was one of neutrality of permission to make it early, but not necessarily an obligation, until we saw the obligation, the Yeshomrim, in Source 21, of an obligation to make it early, and the Ramah then, uh, citing Tosfot and lots of other uh, Rishonim, indicating that that could take place from Plagan on. Um, a lot of the discussion was about what's the status after Baruch Hu about uh, saying Mincha, the Mincha in the shul, the Mincha at home, or doing Malacha, etc., uh, once Baruch has been said, uh, and then we saw the Shulchan Aruch saying, for us, means more Shalim Shabbat, may, is like Baruch Some people will now say that L'chad has that position, or even starting Kabbalat Shabbat, as the customs have extended um, in the last 500 years of Kabbalat Shabbat. In the last, and the addendum, we saw the issue of Sfirat Omer and of having seven full, complete weeks, and the concern that really first showed up in, this, in the uh, 16th century, Yaakov uh, Polak, and then it moves on. It's a famous passage by the Shalot, the Shaya Levi Yishorvitz, in the Shnei Luchot Abrit, about uh, the need to wait to begin Shavuot late in order to have the full Sphera period be completed to Mimot. Uh, we saw that the, uh, that the Magen Avram said you shouldn't make Kiddush till then. The Taz took it even further and said you should not say Arvit till then. And we saw that that uh, that 
Achronim, both in the 19th and the 20th century, uh, some of them concurred with that. So the Nitziv give a whole different explanation to that, and then we ended up by taking a look at the Tshuva, also the 19th century, early 20th century, of Rodos V. Hoffman, indicating that uh, an argument against that and an argument in favor of starting early, but saying, nonetheless, since the minig is to start late, start late, but not as late as other people say, we could daven our feet earlier and then start to say Kiddush right after sunset uh, at Ben Hashemashot. Okay, next week we're going to look at, in the final shear in this uh, in this, in this segment, we're going to take a look at the impact of Tosefet Shabbat on different areas of halacha, on Avelut, on Nidah, um, uh, and, uh, and on Sefirah itself during the period uh, and we'll pick it up then. In the meantime, hopefully, Mir Hashem soon will be able to gather together and study in person. In the meantime, we'll rely on this medium, Lahagdil Torah Ulaha Dirah.